You're listening to Three Valleys Radio. The heart is a bloom Shoots up through the stony ground There's no room Welcome to our In Conversation programme featuring sporting heroes from the world of sport in general and past and present Yeovil players and supporters. And the reason that you had to care The traffic is stuck it's your chance to find out what makes these sported heroes tick. And also, we get a feel for their musical preferences. To take you out of this place Someone you can lend a hand In return for grace It's a beautiful day So sit back and enjoy as Three Valleys Radio brings you the best in local sport. Okay, well, good afternoon, everybody. My guest this afternoon is one I've been trying to get hold of for ages, although I speak to him on a regular basis, but we always talk in shop then, and this is slightly different. Uh, yeah. It is, of course, Darren Sol, the manager of Yeovil Welcome, Darren. Hello, everyone. Now then, you know the, you know the form. This is your life meets Desert Island Disc, so we'll start like this, uh, this is your life. Born on the 2nd of February, 1983. Is that right, in England? The same day as Del Boy. Really? Well, that's uh, that's kind David of... Jason and me share the same birthday. It couldn't have been more appropriate, could <laughs> <isn't> it? <laughs> well, there's only one thing to say there, really. That is lovely jubbly, but <laughs> and um, uh, where were you born then, Darren? I was born in Hitchin. Oh, Hertfordshire, right? In Hertfordshire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, can you remember your first steps as when it came to football? Was concerned. I mean, I'm thinking when you were sort of like six, seven, eight, somewhere around there. No, I can remember. I'll tell you what I can remember. I was five years old, and I was playing in my. Um, I used to play in my brother's under nineteen, mm-hmm. um, and I used to get a minute here and there. Five years old playing against nine-year-olds. It was, you know. <laughs> but my nickname, I mean, the, the team that I played with, my nickname back then was Muscles because <laughs> I was like a little stocky fellow and obviously yeah. I had a huge, huge mouth. And um, I used to come on and have a couple of minutes and. I used to love it. Absolutely used to love it. And my biggest worry when I was five playing with the nine-year-olds was when we kick off, where do I stand? Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Where do I stand? Where does the left-back stand? So I remember asking me, Dad, <laughs> after me first couple of games, thinking, Dad, I'm, I'm really worried. I don't know where to stand. Okay. And he, and he like took me through a kind of a shape and a, yeah. a team or structure, if you like. And um, yeah, it was great fun. I used to, used to love playing with... All my life I've played with or, or been involved with, you know, or associate myself with older people it's always been kind of my way right so your first team was Hitchin Town then in uh, 2001 uh, how did you get on there well I um, I was released at Ipswich at 16 and uh, we played in the game right towards the end of my under 16 season at Ipswich and it was a wonderful club I used to love playing there some good players as you can imagine and I remember we played a trial game and 
this giant six foot thing. He probably was only five eleven, but he he seemed to be a giant, and he ran me ragged in this um, kind of end of season game, and I was moved on. They kept him. He was a lad from the northeast. I, I, I never knew what his name was, and how he went on after that. But um, I was I was very lucky. My parents were massive uh, sticklers for education, and if I didn't at least give it my all. Football used to be taken away from me, so I was got released from Ipswich. Got really great GCSEs. I was quite a was quite a good academically, but I had my dad behind me, kind of with that <laughs> that threat of taking that threat of taking uh, taking football away from me all the time. So I worked quite hard. So I, I was going to go and do A levels, and, um, and right at the last minute, I found out that these college schemes or non league apprenticeships were starting to and we were the first one really and Itching Town was going to be the first one and a guy called Robbie O'Keefe who I worked with for years after that is now academy manager at Stevenage um, started this scheme up this apprenticeship and I went into um, training every day or three days a week and going to college a couple of days a week and, and I was really lucky because after a couple of months of doing that full time I was playing I was playing in the first team at Itching, and that would be the Conference South now. Yeah, yeah. Terry and I were talking about this the other day. How many apprentices, first-year apprentices now, can go and play in the Conference South? I didn't play week in, week out, but I played a good amount of games, maybe 20 games. And I absolutely loved it, absolutely loved it. And again, so going back to my first point of always being around kind of older people. Yeah. Straight away, I was in a senior dressing room at 16, and, you know, we all know this now. I've got an opinion, and I'm chirpy and you know and I've <laughs> quite exuberant with how I express that opinion I was like that at 10 so at yeah. 16 becoming kind of you know a young man if you like you know I had to learn the hard way I really did have to learn the hard way with these senior players and a lot of the senior players at that level at that time at that club were ex-league players mm. you know and um, I certainly learned a few harsh lessons in that dressing room but I loved it, absolutely loved it. And um, youth team football was great. That, that youth team that I played in at Itching, we got to the third round of the FA Youth Cup. We played Leicester. Um, we got beat. Um, but, you know, we played against some really good players. We had some really good runs. We were the best team in non-league at that age in the country by a mile. One tournament after league, after cup, outside the pro game. And it was a, it was a really good, really good spell. But... The best thing that happened during that those years was Robbie was a co- Robbie O'Keefe was a coach educator and I used to follow him around everywhere watching him deliver these coaching badges and that's where I found coaching and because of my um, thirst for that it meant I sailed for all my coaching badges very quickly. Okay, let's have the first of Darren's musical choices and it's uh, "Slide Away" by Oasis. <laughs> I 
that was Oasis and Slide Away. Well, according to this uh, Wikipedia, and you know full well Wikipedia is always wrong, but according, <laughs> according to them, you played for Hitchin 2001 to 2002, 38 appearances. Does that sound right? It's probably more than that. I think I think I probably had three years there. Um, it'd probably have been about maybe 65, 70, something like that over the three years. Maybe. And then you moved on to Berkhampstead Town. Yeah, I, I probably had a month there. I probably yeah. went there for a month um, and then went to Bedford. Mm. And Bedford then had a, um, a manager called Kevin Wilson. Kevin had been manager in Northampton. He played for Chelsea, Northern Ireland, Derby County, was a top ex-player, was a top, top coach. He's someone I still speak to today. Yeah. Uh, to this day, you know, I, I class him in the in the kind of the Glen Roder category of um, mentors, but top coach. Really enjoyed playing for him then. I may have been 19, maybe getting on to 20, something like that. Um, but really enjoyed, and he left and, and went into the conference with Kettering. But he was he was far too good for for that level, far too good. Yeah. And you, well, according to this, you, you, you were there for two years, 72 appearances. Does that sound more like it? It was about a year and a half. I went, I went, I went halfway through... Um, one season, um, and I enjoyed enjoyed that season. Play, again, played with some really good players. Lee Howie, who had played six million games for Sunderland in the Championship in the Premier League, he played there. Liam Folds was an Aston Villa player with Gareth Barry, that type of era. Um, Robbie Miller, Coventry, Peterborough, you know, West Ham. Some really Graham Tomlinson had you know had been bought by Man United from Bradford and. He's yeah. still a friend to this day. There were some really, really good players, really good players. And I enjoyed, I've got to say, I didn't enjoy much of my playing career, but the the 18 months I had there with those players was probably my most enjoyable. So it sounds like here 2004 was quite a year because you had St Albans Town, loaned to Chelmsford City uh, and Dunstable Town as well. Yeah, I signed. I was bought by Steve Castle was the manager of St Albans, and Steve was a childhood hero of mine. So I, me and my dad used to split our time between Old Trafford because we were Man United season ticket holders yeah. for a couple, of, and um, and Peterborough. Um, and when we couldn't get to Man United, we'd go to Peterborough anyway. Steve Castle played in midfield for Peterborough United. Was a was known as kind of the Championship Brian Robson, um, which kind of attracted me to to him anyway. Um, but a real hard guy, hard man, tough, great in the air, good midfield place to get in the box and score goals, but brave, you know, like flying amongst the boots, brave. Mm. Um, bit like Kevin Steve... Moran. Sorry? Kevin Moran. Remember yeah, him? He was always getting nah. injured and smacking his head. And... Nah, that's before me time that age. You're an old fart. So. Yeah, I know that. Um, <laughs> but... Um, basically, anyway, Steve was manager of St Albans and I played against him a couple of times. And I was always quite a combative um, individual. I think Steve enjoyed that. Anyway, Steve bought me from my contract at Bedford to uh, play in the conference with St Albans. Um, or it might have been the conference south. Uh, and uh, I was useless for him. It, it was pretty much downhill from then. Um, and once Steve left... Um, I wasn't going to be a footballer. I didn't want to be a footballer. I'd, mm. I'd let him down anyway. Well, that's how I felt at the time that I'd let him down. Um, I hadn't got myself in a in a condition, the right condition to be who I kind of said I was or 
played like it was and after that it was gone but Dunstable was Kerry Dixon was manager yeah, uh, and I knew Kerry from the area, and he was brilliant. I had a great time. I very much enjoyed it. Chelsea City was just neither here nor there. It was a yeah. flashing and um, <coughs> and that and that was it. Uh, like and and then all of a sudden, you kind of my coaching's kicking off. I'm probably 21, maybe I don't know something like that. And um, I'm about to do my A license, and playing football isn't the most important thing in my life anymore. Was it a question of fitness, or was it just that you sort of lost your your appetite, so to speak? We, no, with Steve, I let him down. So I was uh, again. Terry and I talk about this all the time. When we when when I used to finish the seasons, because I'm not an athletic, um, <laughs> I'm genetically not an athletic shape or build anyway. But I was a de- determined so and so, and I used to spend pretty much most of my off season running. And I remember that that summer, I did not spend my season, uh, my off season preparing, and I couldn't get away with that. And Terry always shares that with me because Terry always said that uh, he he had to do that when he was at Yeovil, mm. and Terry did that for a decade. You know, I did it for maybe three years. Yeah, I mean, you you start tilting your cap a little bit to people with that that discipline, and, and it was the one summer I didn't do it. It was the one summer I came off it for whatever reason. Maybe I thought I was going to be. You know, better than what I was. I, I, I've no idea. Can't mm. remember. It's too too long ago. But I remember, co- you know, my full time job at the time was coaching, mm. um, and and that was taking a you know increasingly bigger sort of um, chunk of my life. And uh, and yeah, I wasn't I wasn't quite the same. I wasn't. I wanted to be, but um, you know, I wasn't quite the same. And I had a, I had a big I had a big problem as a player because. Because of my coaching background, you know, at 17, I had my UA for B. That's the minimum qualification to work in the Premier League Academy. Yeah. At 17, I'm a UA for B coach, and I'm working with, in all due respect, managers that are amateur. Unless it was Kevin Wilson, um, I played for Luther Blissett and Kerry Dixon, some big ex-players. But I was still, I must have been a nightmare to manage. I'd have been Charlie Lee. Charlie's a nightmare like this. I had such an opinion on how I thought the game should be played and if I did this that would happen and you're telling me to do that that's going to happen and I never let me head go out of being a coach and just played um, and it, it took me quite a few years to realise that really um, I don't regret it. it it just weren't it just weren't you know in, in the stars but just part you know, of never... life's rich pageant mate Sorry? Just part of life's rich pageant. No, I'm, I'm glad the way it went. You know, I had a plan and, and the plan the plan kind of worked, so, or has so far worked. But, um, you know, I didn't, you know, I got hurt. I, I was very rarely injured, but, you know, I played in a way where, you know, I broke my nose three times, I lost teeth, and I've got scars all over me. I used to have a skinhead, and you see all the stupid scars and things like that over your head. I'll go and get some tissues. Let's break there for a minute. (laughs) Time for another record, and this time it's Sex on Fire from Kings of Leon.
There we go then, that was the Kings of Leon and Sex on Fire. Let's jump jump forward a, a year or so. Um, 2007, you, you got uh, into Stevenage Borough as a reserve team manager, is that right? Um, yeah, maybe. Uh, well, uh, where are we now? 13 years ago. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, back then, yeah, Peter Taylor was manager. But obviously your your desire to go forward with the coaching was, was obviously bearing fruit because you'd you got a job coaching, basically. Yeah, I've been I've been professionally coaching since I was about eighteen. Yeah. And and I'd I've been a head of community and been a head of the centre of excellence and then I was youth team coach and then Peter Taylor had left, I think, Crystal Palace in the Premier League and was uh, on a contract to the end of the season, I think with Stevenage um, and he came in and we had a proper reserve team then even though it was a national you know it was a conference side yeah uh, and and Peter Peter you know I met Peter a couple of times and I was really excited to watch him work and wonderful man really great guy and he said will you take the reserve team I said, absolutely no problem um, yeah I'd have been about 23 24 when that happened um and I love. I absolutely loved it. Peter was wonderful to work for. I mean, he, he was at the time. Remember, Peter Taylor had just given Beckham the captain's armband. He was like English. Yeah. English football's great coaching. Hope next Terry Venables. You know. So mm. you know, I learned a hell of a lot of Peter. And 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 when I was reserve team manager, he massively supported me. Hugely supported me. Yeah. Yeah. Just still because I was younger. I was younger than all the players. Do you still I mean, speak the, with him? I, I do when I see him. Yeah. I do. Him, you know, when I saw him last year at Dagenham, and I see him, I saw him at a couple of managers' meetings over the years. Um, he's a lovely man, a lovely, lovely man. I'm very grateful for the and he and he even when he left Stevenage and went and worked back in the league, I can't remember where he went. Um, always remembered your name. Yeah. Unbelievable trait to have to recognize, you know, to remember someone's name and say hello, how are you doing? Mm, mm, you know, mm, good mm. to see you, something, something like that. So, you know, he was, um, he was a good guy, really good guy. Do you know what you, you say that that ability to remember people's names? I've, I've never really noticed it until once I, uh, I met uh, Samat Busby, who to me was, you know, God, basically. God. Um, and uh, anyway, I, I met him and that was it. Fine, introduced myself or what have you. Because at the time, I was publishing a magazine about Man United. And anyway, about, I don't know, six, nine months later, I met him again at Bristol. And he remembered me instantly. Hello, Adrian, how are you? And I, I was absolutely, I couldn't, it was no. knew my name, you know, and yeah, he remembered great, it. Great Oh, it, great quality and it, it does give you such a boost doesn't it when somebody like absolutely. that absolutely especially if you think of him as God and I did at the time absolutely, but, absolutely. Um, so uh, he left Stevenage and you ended up being manager of Stevenage then yeah I left I, I did my A licence um, really early and um, the second sort of part of that A licence I reacquainted myself with a guy that I'd met um, in the FA Youth Cup when my my conference Stevenage team played against his League One Leighton Orient team, yeah, uh, and he's and he was youth team coach at the time, and he just retired because he'd had a heart problem, um, and he, he a bit like Vivian um, Mark Vivian Foe, yeah. his soul, and um, the other uh, the other very nice man from Bolton, um, they'd caught it before anything serious had happened, so he retired with this heart condition, but went into youth team, and and, and his name was Andy Scott. And then by the time he'd finished his A licence, which was a year later, 
he was now assistant manager to Terry Butcher at Brentford uh, at Christmas. Terry had lost his job and Andy had taken over. Then they gave him the job. and I went to Brentford with with him um, as youth team coach and, and, the, and the job sort of spec was you work with the youth team um, as quickly as you can and then get over and work with the first team. And I had a couple of other offers at the time because I'd made a bit of a name for myself in the Youth Cup with Steve Nidge, played Chelsea a couple of times in the fourth round and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I had a chance to go to Norwich, I had a chance to go to Peterborough. Both both were higher than Brentford. But the the, the kind of the the draw the, the, the draw for me was not only working with Andy and his assistant, Terry Bullivant, but was working with senior players. So, again, go back to the, I've always been involved with, you know, old men, old players, senior players. Um, that was the biggest draw. And I had three unbelievable years with him at Brentford um, before going to Rotherham with him and having a year in Sheffield. Now we've got Kasabian and Stevie.
That one was uh, Stevie by Kasabian. I saw my first ever football match at Brentford, funnily enough. Yeah, great ground. The Griffin Park. The, yeah, yeah, the bees. Well, I used to live in Ealing when I lived in London, and uh, obviously it wasn't far from there. So we used yeah. to go. So you moved on to um, uh, with Andy Scott then to Rotherham. Yeah, uh, a bit of a culture yeah. shock, wasn't it? Going up the, up north, up to Yorkshire. No, we love my um, my uh, my girlfriend now wife. He's um, he's a Geordie, so um, it, it it was kind of it was a good move for us because obviously it got us closer to yeah. To when we were kind of right in the middle of Hertfordshire and Newcastle, so no, it was good. I, I had a really good year. I had a really good year. Andy, Andy, I think got sacked in February. I had my first taste of caretaker management, um, and uh, we did okay. We won four out of the five, um, and then Steve Evans came in, and you know, uh, Steve and I are actually quite, you know, quite, you know, quite amicable now. But at the time, he's the guy replacing my most loyal and trustworthy mm. football. And again, me being with the mouth that I've got and <laughs> I express myself, um, yeah. it wasn't going to work. So I left and uh, left and came back. And I, w- I was very fortunate that Steve Nitch wanted me to go straight in as their academy manager. I would like to have been a fly on the wall when you and uh, uh, yeah. Steve Evans had your discussions. One of the ex-Yeovil Town players, Ben Smith, I don't know if you know him, but he wrote a book called Journeyman, which is basically about his... And he, he had a uh, manager of Steve Evans quite a few times, and some of the stories in there are quite uh, quite enlightening, yeah. I can tell you. But No uh, comment. No comment. <laughs> well done. I'm not trying to tempt you to sort of drop yourself <laughs> in it. Don't you worry. Uh, no. um, so anyway, you're back at you're back at Stevenage now, and you're um, yeah. w- w- head of youth. Um, yeah. And Teddy Sheringham was the manager. Well, I had three I had three years as head of youth, and I was caretaker um, once in that time, um, which was again another good experience. Uh, and then and then at the end of the third year, Teddy had. Teddy was going to be appointed and I was part of this new coaching team. Um, and, you know, again, being a Man U fan, Teddy Sheringham, it was a, it was an yeah. unbelievable experience to work alongside mm. him. Um, you know, and I was, you know, I was really grateful for the time I was able to spend with him. Um, yeah. Wonderful, wonderful footballer. Even when he joined in then, I think he was 50 when he was manager of Stevenage. He was, he was the best player. He's the best player by far. Are you surprised he didn't make it as a manager? I mean, you know, there's always this theory about ex-players. Some do, some don't make it as managers. I, I would have thought he might have been a good one. No, I think I think it's really hard on Teddy uh, because um, I think he'd had a long spell out. I think he'd had six or seven years out from being a player. Uh, and then he'd gone back in with Sam Allardyce at West Ham as a striker coach or as a, as a technical coach. I think he'd done a, a, you know, a, a year with Sam. Uh, and then he's straight away his manager and when you're manager of League 2 clubs you decide everything you know it's mm. not like you know I've been lucky enough to work in the Premier League it's not it's nothing like that in the Premier League you have a group of players that you coach you pick a shape you pick the system you pick who plays who's sub who's not in the squad and that's your job mm. done everything mm. else is done mm. everything it's not like that in League 2 it's not like that in League 1 you have to design everything and determine everything and uh, it was really unfair on Ted in terms of the timing because, you know, you look at what Lampard have done now and Gerard has done now. Mm. They've both had a year or two as a youth team manager, which is a, a similar job. You have to determine everything. 
um, even at the top clubs. Um, and and Ted never had that that kind of spell where he could he could really sort of shape himself. And it, it was a tough time. It was a tough time for him. It was a tough time for the the club. Um, but listen, when you when you're sitting with Teddy Sheringham and watching a, a Premier League game. Uh, and you're having a meal or a glass of wine or something like that, a f- unbelievably educated and knowledgeable football man. I mean, mm. the things he sees and the way he talks about them was was wonderful to be a part of and uh, a good guy, a really good guy. And like I said, I mean, wow, what a player. I mean, yeah. even then, when he used to join in, was just yeah. incredibly, incredibly fit, very single-minded, very determined. He had all the qualities had all the qualities to be a top top manager just in my humble opinion you know it took me it took me nearly 15 years in preparation time before becoming a manager you know if he if he could have had one somewhere as a youth team coach or a reserve team manager i think it would have i think it would have changed the landscape massively but i learned a lot from him learned a hell of a lot
the killers and Mr. Brightside. So he goes, and suddenly you're manager. Yeah, I was I was appointed caretaker on my thirty third birthday. Um, I think we were we were twentieth, uh, no twenty first in League Two. Yeah. Um, when I was appointed, um, so there wasn't much um, margin of error between us and the drop zone um, and the relegation zone. Um, and uh, it was blimey, what a baptism. I won the first three games, like most caretakers do, you get that jump, mm. and then I lost mm. six in a row. Oh, so we went from 21st to, uh, I think we climbed to about 16th. Yeah. And we're thinking, wow, all right, we're in. And then we went and played Carlisle away, and it's a good story, this, because it involves Charlie. And um, we played Carlisle away, first five minutes Charlie has to come off and only plays three more games till the end of the season after that and Charlie was the pivot to the shape we were playing was playing really well similar role to what he plays for me now at Yeovil um, but he was unbelievable at what he was doing for us and he come out of the team and it, and it took me six games to find a alternative to not having Charlie, not having that type of player, not having that type of... Sport. And um, so it, t- it took me quite a while. And then and then Glenn Roder came in um, to, to help me through the period. And um, we had nine games after that. So I probably had 18 games. And then we lost once in the last nine and we stayed up quite comfortably. I think we finished 16th that year. Um, and you were, fe- you were February's manager of the month, League Two manager of the month. No, that was a year later. Oh, was that it was, right? Yeah. Yeah. Year yeah. later, yeah. yeah. But I mean, you know, clearly you obviously got an aptitude for it. The fact that you got a manager of a month award and you, you know, okay, so well, they, well, he, a year later, we 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 were kind of flirting around mid table, and then uh, we'd had a couple of defeats. I think we dropped to about fifteenth, sixteenth, and then we had a period of fourteen games, and I think we lost once, maybe twice in the fourteen games. Mm. There was one period where we we were unbeaten in ten. You know, and it, and we just rocketed to the to the. We were fourth at one point, um, and and we were playing really really well. Great momentum, good tempo, nice style of play. Um, we were really in a zone, and um, I got manager of the month, obviously in February. But it was just disappointing how it finished off. I mean, in one week we played Blackpool, we ended up going up. We lost one nil away to them as one of the games we lost, and then we beat. I think we beat Portsmouth. The following Saturday, um, sorry, we beat Luton on the Saturday. We lost at Blackpool on the Tuesday away at Blackpool, which was a difficult journey. And then we beat Portsmouth the following Saturday, 3-0, hmm. you know, at home. And Portsmouth went on to win it. Um, and Blackpool ended up going up in the playoffs and Luton just missed out. But, you know, we were we were right in there, right in there with a, you know, a very Yeovil-type budget at the time. Yeah. And... and, and- uh, I was going to say, during that season, you also introduced a, a quite a few uh, academy players into the side, yeah? Yeah, there was, there was a few that year. There wasn't as many as the year after, um, but there was there, there was a good there was a good few. Yeah, yeah. We'd, we'd got quite a few in. So uh, next season, things started to slide a little bit. Um, you know, when, looking back on it now, can you could you have done it differently? Do you think? Well, we started really well. We started really well. I thought we were. I think we we didn't get beaten in the first nine games that season. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then we had a uh, we had a period where uh, I chose to blood 
young players. Ben Wilmot was the one I blooded. I'd signed him at 14 as academy manager. I gave him his debut at 17 and he played 15 games for us and got sold for 1.2 million mm. uh, and, and started playing for England. And, you know, he's got a, he's got a great, great career ahead of him now. Um, and I went that way rather because I thought uh, we, we were never going to win that league. We were never going to get in the playoffs with that squad. And I wanted to make sure that the club got something out of that season. And what they got out of the season, we sold Ben for, like I said, one point something million. We sold Matty Godden for 400000 to Peterborough. You know, we'd made massive, massive money, huge money out of players that were free to come in. I developed them, worked very, very hard to get them into a position where they could play week in, week out and be good week in, week out. And, um, and it was a bit of a kick in the teeth. I'm really lucky, I, you know, the chairman at Stevenage, I still speak to him now. And um, you know, I've got massive respect for him, and and I believe he has he has for me because I don't think I could have done anything differently. My my KPIs at Stevenage were simple: don't get relegated, try and do as well as you can in the cup, and sell a player. We got to mm. the third round of the FA Cup. We played Reading over two games, and we sold nearly 1.7 million worth of players in that season. So. You know, at the time, like any manager does, you think, that ain't right, that ain't fair. Um, I still don't think it was right and fair based on what I was asked to achieve. But, um, you know, the chairman's a, you know, a brilliant man and has been very good to me, so it'd be, it'd be, it'd be uh, disrespectful to, to say anything other than that. But he, he then moved me into kind of a technical director's role. Hmm. Uh, and um, and I, had a, I had a few months at that before, before leaving for Watford. But you know, you say that, and I mean, funnily enough, I was, I was talking to um, Lee Johnson on the phone recently, and he was saying that that sometimes, although he didn't think he'd done a bad job at Bristol City, um, great job, you know, unbelievable job. But he said suddenly we were expected to do so much more, but having Absolutely. sold all my best players. Absolutely. So, you know, I mean, we all know football finances are such that that sometimes, you know, to keep the club alive, I suppose they feel they've got to make these sort of decisions. But it must be pretty rough on the manager, if, you know, if you get get well, get fired. Yeah, we're on the cold face. We're yeah. on the, I mean, Stevenage haven't sold a player since. Mm. Haven't sold a player since. No. Not not going the playoff since. Been relegated since. Really, we're yeah. calling it. It is. Yeah. You know, and um, it's very tough. Bristol City won't finish high as won't finish uh, as high as Lee got them um, in his years there. No, next no chance. No, Lee did a fantastic job, absolutely fantastic job. Mm. And um, and I think it's only retrospectively that we look back, especially supporters. You know, and I'm a supporter. I'm a Man United supporter. Mm. I'm watching that thing now on Tottenham. You know, behind the scenes. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm watching the way Mourinho operates, and I'm thinking. Blimey, I, he's he's a lot better or different than what I thought. Mm, mm. Should we have done this? Should we have done? You know, you think about these things. Yeah, absolutely yeah. think about these. And I'm in the same position now at Yeovil. We finished fourth last year. Should never have finished fourth. Absolutely no chance. Middle of the road budget, starting late, massive run. You know, during the first part half of the season to get mm. us kind of in and around it. And now everything, we're not ready for what's coming. We're nowhere near ready because what are we ready for this year compared to last year? We're ready this year to try and take the team from fourth higher. Mm. Well, that might, that, that's that. Last year it was whatever happens, Darren. 
please don't get relegated again. Yeah, yeah, I mean, quite. The, the difference in mentality and the difference in spend, the difference in infrastructure, the difference in player quality is huge, mm. absolutely huge. You know, I'm, I'm more, if I'm being honest, I'm more anxious now about next season than I was last season. Yeah, yeah. Because we're not we're we're not going to be we're not going to have that same um, uh, margin of error or expectation levels that we had last season, and I'm going to be judged on that. Like Lee was, Lee finishes, you know, let's say just outside the playoffs with Bristol City, which he did a couple of years in a row. He sells two players for twenty five million. I mean, twenty five million, and he's expected to finish. Yeah. Higher than what he did the year before. Yeah, I think people must be smoking some <laughs> illegal substances if they think that's going to happen. Yeah, and yeah. and listen, I, I feel very very similar right now about next year. It's going to be so tough. Mm. So t- so we'll we'll bypass Watford because I don't want to talk about that. Um, we can if you like. Well, you know. Well, all right then. Um, well, what happened at what Watford then? <laughs> I had I've got to say I had the I Watford is my best eight months work to date including last year yeah it was a really great you know I've got to look back reflectively and and it was really good work solid work we took um, the important thing to me when you're academy manager the important thing for me when I'm an academy manager are the people you produce not the players you produce mm-hmm. so I went into Watford they had a 64% uh, graduation uh, percentage of players academically. So 64% actually graduated academically with the result or the potential or the predicted result they should have gone in at and actually qualified with that result. 64%. We're right. letting them down. Mm. You know, no, the institution's letting young people down if it's 64%. These are facts, by the way. I've mm. got document after document. By the time I left, we were ninety-eight percent, and I left. I left in February, mm. right at the end of February. Yeah, we were ninety-eight percent. The club had not reached the semi-final of the FA Youth Cup for twenty-five years. We were in the semi-final of the FA Youth Cup against Liverpool. Mm. My team. I had one team there because my job was a bit strange, but my one team was the FA Youth Cup team. So that was the one team I was manager of. The one team. Mm. We was in the semi-final of the FA Youth Cup. We were one of the smallest Category Two clubs. We'd beaten three Category 1 clubs on the way there that spent 10, 15 million a time. And the lads had an unbelievable experience at Anfield in the semi-final of the FA Youth Cup. It's the best work I've ever done. We had a brilliant culture. We had a culture of excellence. We had a culture that said you're in, you're in a Premier League apprentice or a Premier League professional footballer and we're going to hold you to these standards. Hit these standards or you're not going to play football. Same as me dad. Mm. You know, going all the way back. That that kind of football is such a powerful tool to ensure discipline, you know, really good manners, great values, blah blah blah, and we and and we did that really well. And unfortunately, unfortunately, I was at a club that wasn't ready for that change, and wasn't ready for that, you know, dramatic turn and that real push. Yeah. And um and and, and we had to part company in the end, and we had to part company, you know, under false kind of. Um, allegations and circumstances, but knowing you, knowing me like you do now, Aid, you know I fought and I fought and I fought and I made sure I got my 
my side of the story, but mm. the best work I've done, and I was really lucky, the players were unreal. The, the young players, the under-18s, the under-23s, they were unreal. They all did, you know, like um, photos with, you know, wanting to get me back in the building. Mm. There was sign they used on all of their FA Youth Cup shots. They did that. That was the sign. Yeah. It was yeah. like a cross across their chest. And that was, that was for me. It yeah. was really a real humbling experience, really humbling experience. And, um, and one that I wish I never went through. I really wish I never went through um, because it was horrible for me, but more so my family. Um, you know, being in, I was in 14 newspapers over three days. Mm, mm. I mean, I was on Sky, I was everywhere. Mm. But, um, you know, it was a really, in terms of my managerial career, it was a great experience. It added a layer of resilience to me, added a layer of robustness, uh, another another experience I could kind of tick off. Unfortunately, as callous as I say it, tick off that experience. And I really enjoyed it there. And Hayden Mullins was one of my staff. He went on to manage the first team. Graham Stack I employed. Gavin Strachan I brought to the club. He's now first team coach at Celtic. I, I uh, bought my sports scientist from Stevenage out of there, uh, out of Stevenage to go to Watford. It's an unbelievable appointment. You know, we had a really great team, a wonderful team. Tom Hart, who was an ex-apprentice of mine at Stevenage uh, back in the, you know, back when I was a really young coach, he ended up becoming the under-18 coach. You know, Hayden's left yesterday uh, to go into a first team, um, the first team structure of, of a league club. I had a brilliant, brilliant time. And most of the people that I worked with there, wonderful, wonderful people. Some of the people, the corp the corporation of the Premier League is difficult to manoeuvre and difficult to kind of work your way through. And if I was back in a Premier League club, would I do things differently? Of course I would. Would I do anything differently with players and the culture and the environment? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because I believe that football is a is a privilege. It's a privilege. And what I don't stand for is young footballers in particular taking the proverbial is out of being a footballer and the things they think they might be able to get away with when they can't. Mm. Still got to be a good student. Still got to be a good lad. Still got to turn up on time. All of the things that become so prevalent for them in their, in you know, in their, uh, in their adolescence. Well, obviously, it was not a pleasant experience. But at the same time, would you say it's it's it's, it's helped you? It's it's a an experience that's um, going to make you stronger. Massively, massively. I mean, yeah. you know, I I would not have been the manager last year for Yeovil having not gone through it one hundred percent. So they, there's very few things now that can. I feel that can kind of penetrate uh, my uh, confidence, my, you know, mm. my self belief, things like that. So much more determined, and and that and that's the thing, and that's the thing now with young people, and I, and I don't know why it is with football, but young people in football seem to be given a different ride than young people in any other walk of life. Yeah. You know, my, my cousin is a really successful business uh, owner. Uh, she's a hairdresser and she's made a brilliant success of herself. And when I watch her with her apprentices, she's, you know, we're two weeks apart, me and my cousin. She's like my sister. Yeah. But when, 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 when I watch her with her apprentices, the first six months is sweeping hair. Mm. Mm. Now you sweep hair. That's what you do. You respect our trade. Yeah. Respect what we're going into. You expect the work ethic. You respect... You know that all the things around the good things in that trade, she's she's magnificent with them. Can't 
footballers, young young apprentices now, they they can't sweep the changing room. No, they're not that. That that's not allowed. Can't clean. You know, let's ask Terry what he had to do at Chelsea. Yeah, you know, yeah. under under Glenn Hoddle and Graham Ricks. Yeah, blimey, can't clean boots. No, it's, can't it's, do can't do anything. So the humility and the respect for the trade now is literally that. No respect. Mm-hmm. So they grow up with a self-importance, a self-value um, that's higher than what it should be. You know, at 18 years old, you've got to work hard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Carl Dickinson's got the best stories ever of Pulis and being a young pro under under Pulis. Mm. You know, look at look at the desire Carl's got at 33, 34 yeah. to still be a success. Mm. Them young lads will not have that... Um, that uh, that value to their trade that that Carl and you know Lee Collins and Charlie Lee have got. Right, the last of Darren's musical tracks, and it's John Legend with Ordinary People. with you but this ain't the honeymoon past the infatuation phase we're right in the thick of love at times we get sick of love it seems like we argue every day i know i misbehaved and you've made your mistakes and we both still got room left to grow And though love sometimes hurts, I still put you first And we'll make this thing work But I think we should take it slow We're just ordinary people We don't know which way to go Take it slow, oh, this time we'll take it slow, take it slow, oh, this time we'll take it slow. This ain't a movie, no, no fairy tale conclusion, y'all, it gets more confusing every day. Sometimes it's heaven sent Then we head back to hell again We kiss then we make up on the way I hang up, you call We rise and we fall And we feel like just walking away But as our love advances We take second chances Though it's not a fantasy I still want you
slow, take it slow. Oh, this time we'll take it slow. Take it slow, slow. This time we'll take it slow. Take it slow. Oh, 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 oh. this time we'll take it slow. That was John Legend and Ordinary People. Right, well, we've moved on. And you're at Yeovil. <clears throat> and in you come. And I remember the first time I spoke to you down at Dorchester, and I thought, yeah, seems like a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> you probably looked at me and thought, fat bastard, who's he? <laughs> but, um, I can't believe you thought I was a nice guy. Well, you know. Bad judge. Uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, but seriously, you know, you're at Yeovil now. We've had a, a, a very successful first season. Who could have ever imagined that something like the pandemic would strike and it's, yep. and it's kind of you know it, it sort of upset all your momentum everything was sort of suddenly came to a halt and who knows what might have happened had it not come along yeah. but the fact of the matter is it did and we've had to make make do with it now and we've got to start again yep. basically um it's a hell of a challenge isn't it you know like i've alluded to i mean you know, coming having the time, I came in so late last year. I mean, okay, I, I signed a contract on a Wednesday. I remember staying Wednesday night. I remember doing the, you know, a long day on the Thursday. I did the majority of Friday. I drove back to my family in Bedfordshire that Friday, and then on the Monday we were back in on tra- uh, back in for training, which meant getting the players in a week earlier than what they'd been told. Yeah, um, it was so quick, so quick. I had no staff. You know, I didn't realise Terry was going to be Terry. Um, I knew him, I knew of him, didn't really know him. But this year, when you have time to think and you have time to plan, you have time to prep, all of these things, the next season's quite daunting. It is quite daunting because, you know, even, I think even last year, I think we were predicted to finish 13th, 14th on on the odds. And the odds are never too far off. Really, no, no. Long, you know, there's a lot of uh, statistics and mathematicians and statisticians that, that that work for these companies, and you know, and and to finish fourth was 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 good. And and the way we finished fourth, you know, we played good football, very very aggressive, front foot, fast, furious. It was it was good. It's really good, and I enjoyed it. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, this, this season, all of a sudden, those odds makers make us third. Hmm. Uh, and anything below third will be seen as a you know a, a, as a bad season and and I can't tell you our infrastructure post covid is nowhere near the likes of Notts County it's nowhere near the likes of Stockport it's nowhere near the likes of even Chesterfields teams like that it's nowhere near you know we've been ravaged by this by this pandemic and what it means is i mean right here right now we're, we've got 15 players, 15 players. Two of them are teenagers. You know, we've got one injury already in Charlie Lee that can't play again Friday. So we're down to we're down to 14 players. Yeah. The facts are we've got, 14, we've got no second goalkeeper. We've got no right back. We've got two centre forwards. We've got 15,000 midfield players <laughs> <laughs> because I like a midfield player. But, you know... Like this is this is going to be so tough. 
Mm. This is going to be a war of attrition this year. And something will have to give at some point. It will. Definitely mm. will. Sometimes in that season, that means the manager has to, you know, has to move on. That's some, some something that sometimes it has to give. But, you know, something you'll have to give in terms of players playing out of position, bad runs in form, sporadic, you know, um, replays of last year and seven games winning in a row, sporadic versions of that. But it's a really, um, uh, it's a really different ground. It's a completely different ground. Very, very different to last year. You know, when I, when I joined last year, we didn't even have an owner. No. We had an owner, but the owner wanted to sell it to another owner. Mm. To another, you know, to someone else. Yeah. So there was a lovely gap <laughs> between those two fingers. And what I used to do, that gap meant I did whatever I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Good start. And, <laughs> well, it, you know, and things, you know, we work, you know, I work really hard as Terry does, as all of the managers. 90, 99% of managers work very, very hard. So the speed in which we work is relentless. The market is changing all the time. This player's available, that player's available. This morning, you know, this is exclusive really, but this morning a right-back came available. Mm. Oh, I'd love, I'd absolutely love it, Yeovil. Yeah. And I've always found that if things work out, they work out because you do them quickly. You know, Luke Wilkinson, I'm driving to my interview at Yeovil, right? This is a true mm. story. Mm. I'm driving, I'm on a holiday in Bournemouth, no. right? So uh, we got uh, we got family with a flat in Sandbanks. So I've yeah. my my wife's pregnant, so we can't fly abroad. So we go to Sandbanks. Beaut, by the way, beautiful, absolutely stunning part of the world, as you know. Yeah. And um, and I get a phone call. Will you come and meet Yeovil? Will you go and meet the uh, uh, existing chairman and the new chairman or pretend or potential new chairman? Yeah. Absolutely, of course I will. Go and buy a suit. Get me suit on, drive down, and I'm driving through these country lanes. I think I'm in like, um, what was that? Last of the summer wine. I think I'm in last of the summer wine now. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm used to the M25 and yeah. the A1, and I'm like up and down, round. I mean, stone walls and all sorts. And I'm on the phone to Luke. Luke, I'm going to go and meet Yeovil. Don't know if I'm going to get it, but I'm going to tell him today that you've already agreed to sign to for me <laughs> if if I get the job. Yeah. Are you in? I'm in. I want to move back to Wales. I want to work with you again. I've had a bad year with that manager, this manager. I, I just want to play football and really enjoy me football. I, I want to play for you. I want to play for you over. I want to play where my family are. I want to be happy. I want to be settled. Brilliant. Music to me is. We'll talk about money later. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm. So I go into my, I, you know, I go into my interview and I, I'm like, I've already done Luke Wilkinson. That's a massive, massive thing to be able to go into a. Yeah, and it didn't say it, but because of that that kind of transitional period, I was able to I was able to nail all the finances very very quickly, you know. So I was you know Luke being my first signing was I thought was kind of set the pace for what we were trying to do. Well, bearing in mind this won't be going out for a week or two, are you going to be able to tell me who it is? Who <laughs> the right back? Yeah, yeah, he'll get done tomorrow, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not telling you. No. <laughs> Fair enough. Hopefully t- tomorrow at two we'll, uh, we'll yeah. be able to talk okay. about it. But, I mean, you know, obviously what you've just said, it, it must be tremendous pressure on you now because, as you say, we, we came fourth last year and who knows what might have happened. Um, you know, do you feel the pressure? Does it affect you at home? How, how do you get over it? I think, um, I, I, no, I, the answer is no, no, I don't. Re- 
I, I feel pressure like anyone does. Every job feels pressure. You know, I've been out of work once in um, 19 years. Yeah. I've been out of work for four months once, you know, and I went and did something different. I really enjoyed it, and it will be something I might go back and do in the future, definitely. But even that was a pressure because there's money attached to it. Yeah. There's a remuneration that says your family can live, they can be fed, they can be clothed, they can have, you know, my, you know, I'd like to be able to give my children an opportunity to go around the world on holidays and with yeah. us and things like that. So there's always pressure, right? I mean, mm. that's, I think that's just a, that's an, in, uh, an, an innate thing inside, you but, know, a man. But, I, th- I think the biggest, I think the biggest crime a man can commit is to leave their family in poverty. Mm. You know, mm. I, I'd do anything. I'd go into any trade to make sure that my family are, are you know, are kept. Yeah. Uh, you know, so th- that pressure is always there, no matter what you do. But is it not? Do gonna, I feel? Is it, is do it I not, feel go on, mate. I was gonna say, is it not going to be, uh, you know, that much more intense this year? Yeah, definitely. I think that's going to be natural and, you know, the expectation is going to rise and, and I'm forever going to be moaning, hmm. you know, and I'm going to say this and that. It doesn't mean we can do that. It doesn't mean we're going to finish here and can't sign in because of X and we can't do that because of Y. And all of those things are, you know, are definitely prevalent and really kind of are really in my psyche. Yeah. But, but social media now has, has created a forum where people think they can attack an individual you know they can attack an individual i mean look at look at the um look at the during the pandemic in lockdown look at the things that were said about our government mm, mm. you know i'm not really political so right wing left wing i don't really understand either of them you know it's not ever been of, of, of an interest to me how can a government be ready for what happened i mean well, they can't be they ready can't. no 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 one so in that period you're going to make mistakes. Now, if I'm the if I'm the prime minister and I come out and I say no, we've done everything right, which is pretty much the government's been the government's kind of selling point. No, yeah. we've done everything right. We've done this. We've done that. Da, 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 da. People go, well, you haven't done anything right. Forty thousand people are dead. Mm. That was going to happen, unfortunately, with this illness, regardless of the government's decisions. Yeah. You know, it, and regardless people, of the of the government as well. I mean, you know, if it was a Labour, Liberal, whoever. Exactly. Now, if the government then come out and they take a standpoint of, um, uh, we've done everything we in our best possible in you know best interest of the country, the people, the health and well being. Bloody bloody blah. We have made mistakes. People would attack that. Mm. They go, oh, now you've admitted. Some people will go, oh, that's nice. They've admitted to mistakes, but. 40,000 people are now dead and you've admitted to those mistakes that might have cost their lives. They're damned if they do, damned if they don't. And mm. any political party or any leader in that situation would have gone through that. The facts are they've done some unbelievable things for us that no one would have predicted or estimated that they can do. The furlough scheme has mm. just been like astronomically positive, isn't it? Oh, I mean, they yeah. have kept us all fed watered and paying our mortgages or our rents or even freezing them mm. whilst the the economy went poof, done i mean wow that is incredible mm. incredible kickstart campaign for me is going to be the best of it all mm. 16 to 24 so we're going to pay their wages for 26 weeks mm. up to a minute up to the national minimum wage one unbelievable incentive for young people who are going to be 
struggling their backsides off now to kind of kick on with their lives and their you know and their careers and their trades. You know, inc- inc- I think that's incredible leadership, incredibly, because they're looking into the future and they're they're, they're making something, that's, they're, they're producing something that's going to affect the you know the positivity of our future. To me, that's really great leadership. Mm. You know, so. I think I think it's the same in in you know in, in what we're doing now. We can get six months in, and we can say I can be the one who says, "No, we've done this well, that well, that way, but we made some mistakes." Someone's going to attack me. Mm. Someone's going to say, "Well, Darren, you know that's cost us seven points away at Stockport, Bartleypool, and Notts County." Something like something stupid like that, eh? Do you know? But, but they're too no. blinkered, aren't they? That's the problem. I mean, you know, your average football supporter is totally blinkered, and he wants his well, team to be successful. You know, listen, I've always, I've always, I think it's really easy to write something behind a, a computer. I don't choose to use social media. I have people, that, I have friends that send me it and things like that. I get whiff of it every now and then through mm. press and journalists like yourself. You know, fans are saying this, fans are saying that, da 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 da, but. They can't really hurt me. No. They, they can't really hurt me because, again, the greatest crime I can commit is leaving my family in poverty. Mm. So, so whilst I do that and I work hard and I'll always work hard and I'll, I really enjoy my job, I love being at Yeovil. I had the best year of my career, I actually. I loved it. Even some of the crap I got in January for a bad run, I, that didn't really that didn't touch the sides, you know. Mm. And, um, and whilst we, you know, whilst I work with people like Terry... I work for a man like Scott, you know, and I work with Betch. Brilliant. I've had, I've had a brilliant time. I've worked me backside off, and, 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 and hopefully it shows on the pitch because I think that group of players last year were, you know, we, I mean, they, let's go back. They all took pay cuts without one qualm, one argument. They all took pay cuts. We had them staying at the ground for four weeks before they played the biggest game maybe in recent years. And they slipped in boxes. Our players. They didn't want not one light bulb broken, not one TV smashed, not one beer that shouldn't have been drunk. Nothing mm. like that. You know, all of those things that people would be kind of concerned about. An unbelievable group of men, absolutely unbelievable group of men. So I had a, I had a whale of a time. I just wish we'd scored a couple in that game. Mm. <laughs> but that's that's got to be a tick for you, though, hasn't it? That that you 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 handled a situation like that you didn't have any problems with it um and you know look at your enthusiasm now i can tell you you know you're you're pumped up and you're ready to go now virtually i mean we've got a couple of weeks to go yet but uh yeah well i, I listen I, I love all that I've been, like i said i've been really lucky four months out of work in 18 19 years this is yeah. my 20th season professionally you know and uh, i've been i've been so lucky so so lucky so fortunate and um and I, i've worked hard for it don't get me wrong but you know, I wanna I wanna do something great against the odds. I think there's nothing better than doing something great against the odds. And whilst I've got that, you know, that optimism, also there's a reality to that optimism of, you know, this is going to be tough. This might not look shiny and tingly. <laughs> it might not be wrapped in a bow. This might be, yeah, yeah, a, a good old fashioned tear up for ten months. Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, all that time. You know, and you know, if we can't, if we can't at any stage extend our squad, if we can't at any stage, you know, improve the mechanics of our organisation to extend the squad, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a hell of a slog. It's going to be a hell of a slog. But the best thing is, I've got a group of lads there that 
group of players and group of staff, Terry being, you know, the biggest one of all that, that are ready to roll their sleeves up and, you know, really dig deep and fight. So, you know, I'm, I'm really impressed with that. Bearing in mind that we both support Man United and, and I've supported them since 1957, so I consider myself to be a true red. Um, but I've a bit of green in me as well, obviously. Um, <laughs> but um, can I just ask you one question? Devon Arnold. Yes. Now, um, the story I've heard is that Devon Arnold, we couldn't afford to keep him, so he's, he's left the club. Uh, he's had a trial, and I know that a trial is just a trial. It doesn't necessarily yep. mean commitment. But for Man United to pick up a player like that and give him a trial, they must have seen something in it in him. I assume um, he goes and plays for him. He scores a goal. I'm told as well. Can you yep. tell us why 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 he left? Is it or is it a politically well, incorrect well, question? Well, you, you, you're dead right. You, he left because we can't we can we can afford Devon Arnold. Don't yeah. get me wrong. We can afford him. What we can't afford is to have, you know, the what is the big picture for Yeovil? Is the big picture for Yeovil to be this machine that develops players while it stays in the National League? Or is it is the big picture for Yeovil to try and get back in the EFL as quickly as possible to ensure that the, the, the greater good of the football club is in the EFL and the funding and the revenue streams and da-da-da-da-da, all these things? Yeah. We can't have it all, right. you know. We, we just can't have it all. And I'm a, I'm a developer of 15 years of my 20 years in development. You know, so I'm, I'm the biggest developer in our football club. We've sold players for millions of pounds, having signed them at 14 years old. So, you know, I love developing young players. But when it comes to a point where the matter of, you know, a small amount of a hundreds of pounds a week can't be invested in that because it's got to be invested in a guarantee rather than a project that's that's the nature of our you know our economy mm-hmm. at the moment now if Devon goes from Yeovil to Man United and if he's listening good luck to your son do your absolute best and I hope you make the best of every situation you know so there's a few things we'll be careful with here in terms of what I know but if he does that great absolutely great and there's nothing we can do about it and there's nothing we would Devon, Ar- Devon Arnold play in our first team next year ahead of Reese Murphy and Courtney Doofus absolutely no. mm. absolutely not so I can spend my time and energy trying to improve the team in its short term short mm. term a year at a time or you know if we was in League 1 we could probably play him for 5 years if we are in League 2 we'd probably play him for 3 years we're not. We're in the National League, and unless we get back up quite quickly, that revenue stream is dropping, you know, by the day. Mm. So, you know, we've we got to be really careful. So, you know, Terry and I made that decision on the on the on the best of the club for its longevity of the club. Yeah, um, and that's why you know, obviously, the academy decisions were made. We just couldn't, we, you know, Scott mm. just couldn't keep it going and, and keep fitting the bill for it you know it's just it was just hundreds of thousands of pounds hundreds yeah. of thousands of pounds um, now if, De- if Devon does well brilliant I've got to say Aid, I've, like I said I've been doing this a long time now I've seen run of the mill lads uh, and I'm using this as a Premier League hypothetical I've seen run of the mill lads at Brighton sign professional contracts at Manchester City I've seen all sorts. The academy system as we know it, you d- academies don't sign players now just to produce them for the first team. I know it sounds mad. They don't. They absolutely don't. Hmm. They sign players now, a lot of them, because the games program is so extensive 
they have to ensure that they've got enough players to fill the teams. If you're a Premier League, a top Premier League side now, you've got an under-18s, you've got an under-19 European Super Cup League, and you've got an under-23s, plus a Checker Trade Tournament. You've got four, you've got four teams. Mm. How many players are those four teams? How many staff? How many of this? How many of that? Huge amounts of players need to be signed and a huge amount of money needs to be invested just in fulfilling those games. Forget about whether they produce one. Forget about that. that that's not the be-all and end-all. Mm. Uh, that yeah. is not the be-all and end-all. You know, my previous club being the, the biggest example, semi-final of the FA Youth Cup. There's, there's not a great intention there of putting players in the first team. We've seen that. All this, listen, I'm only telling you what every Watford fan says. Mm. No young players end up getting in the first team. Their best one last year is just signed for uh, just signed for Oldham in League Two mm. with Harry. So mm. that's 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 the level. But I suppose this particular example, which we've discussed, and you've answered admirably. Um, I suppose had it been Devon Arnold had been picked up by I don't know Lincoln City, say, um, nobody would have shed an eyelid. That would have been the end of it. But it was because it was Man United. Or, no, of course. Yeah, I, had a, I had a lad it. at Stevenage. I had a lad at Stevenage, right? And um, he got into the first team at 17 years old. I won't name him. Most wonderful human being ever. He went and in, within three months of being an apprentice for me, after I signed him from another Premier League club, he went and trained for one week with Watford, with Zola, when Zola was manager, because they yeah. wanted to look at After a couple of months. Into his second year, he'd already made his first team debut for Stevenage in League One and they were relegated from League 1 into League 2. During that second year, he came back to me. So he came from being a first-team player back to the academy. I took him to Man United for a week. Mm -hmm. right? Man United. So I spent time at Carrington. I watched him train. Yeah. Louis Van Gaal was manager. Ashley Young was a friend of mine. I kind of caught up with him. Blah, yeah. blah, blah. Yeah. All of that mumbo-jumbo. He was a lad who couldn't get into Stevens' his first team at 17. He's training with Man United reserves. Yeah. So the, the the academy world is a very very complex world now. It is not this class of '92 all powering machine that is. Let's get loads of lads in the first team. I mean, Premier League clubs now they have loan managers. They're salesmen, so they've got to get their players out on loan and get money back into the club in in the way of contribution for a Yeovil taking that player on loan. Mm, yeah, yeah. They've got loan managers. That loan manager has to justify his job by not only getting people out to have the right experience and get the right platform, Romeo Hutton, for example, mm. James Tilly, players like that, but they've also got to be seen, and I've got to say Birmingham and Brighton weren't like this in any way, shape or form with us, but they've got to be seen to be bringing money back into the business and the economy. Now, this year, right here, right now, the economy of football needs that money more than ever. Mm. So it's even worse this year. It's uh, even worse. And will football survive, do you think? Oh, of course it will. Listen, they'll, they'll, that, the economy will we'll go through a recession. We will. That's inevitable. And everyone will, will feel, the, you know, feel the hit, including us at Yeovil, as I've already tried to kind of mm. explain. But you come out the other side, didn't you? And you come out the other side because of people like supporters. Yeah, yeah. The Look, supporters keep football running. Well, Darren, you've been absolutely brilliant. You, you know, I, I just can't tell you how grateful I am for you doing this. Cause, uh, thanks, mate. But okay. uh, thanks very much indeed for doing it. And uh, 
I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>